Well, it's been another week of football, and finally, unlike the last couple of weeks, we've seen a bit of news to discuss, which means it's going to be an action-packed episode of the Armchair Managers podcast. I'm Ross Evans with my co-host, as always, Dan Newton. Hello. And, well, we've got a lot to get in today. Um, So I guess we'll start off with the news of the weekend. After a five-year stint with Sheffield United, Chris Wilder has uh, left the club by mutual consent. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit of an odd one. Um, I mean, left by mutual consent, I think that means he's been sacked, but kind of just agreed to leave. I I don't think it was his choice. Um, Yeah, I think he almost jumped before he's been pushed. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, I don't know about you. I I think it's a ridiculous decision, really. I think if you're going to sack him, do it in December and at least give the next manager a chance of keeping him up and a transfer window. I mean, doing it now, it's just pointless, really. Like, they're definitely going to go down and it just kind of tarnishes their kind of relationship, I think. Yeah, and as a manager who has done so much for Sheffield United, um, it's really a surprise to see them just get rid of him that easy. Um, you know, off when he's left, you know, it's been reported that the standards have slipped, you know, in training, in the club, they've all slipped, slipped now that Wilder's gone. Um, and, you know, we saw them lose 5 nil to Leicester at the weekend. Um, I just find that surpri- surprising, really. Yeah, I mean, like you said, I think the fact that they lost 5-0 in the like first game without him probably shows that maybe the players aren't particularly happy to see him go. Maybe they've kind of down tools a little bit. Because um, you think, you know, if he was manager, they probably wouldn't lose 5-0. I mean, they'd probably still lose, but I think they would have put up more fight. I, I don't know if you actually watched the game, but they, they were really bad. Like, I know they lost yeah. 5-0, but they didn't really have a kick at all. Yeah, they... um. You know, five nil in the Premier League. You would expect that to, you know, that does set as a golfing class. But from what I saw of it, and you know, having read some of the post-match interviews and uh, critics, it, they really were poor. I mean, I think Billy Sharp said it was the difference of men against boys. Yeah, and I mean, he's been there at Sheffield United for a very long time, so he'll he knows what kind of the standards are supposed to be for that club, and I think they clearly yeah. didn't meet it against Leicester and. I think the sack of the manager is almost certainly the reason why. And um, I mean, I don't know if they've, you know, hinted who's going to replace him. But to be honest, I can't really think of anyone that could come in and help them right now. Surely yeah, they're going to be looking towards next season to someone to get them back up. Yeah, according to BBC Sports, the job has been handed to the under-23 manager to the end of the season, um, which I almost think is a bit of a safe the safe bet for them because they're almost certainly down. Yeah, yeah. I think mathematically they're still in it, but you know, you look at the way the teams around them are playing, Fulham are looking like a strong, strong side for that end of the table. Brighton, a reasonable team. Um, West Brom are probably going down, but you know, the, that's the most I'd expect them to see is jump up one place to 19th. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I don't even think they'll do that. I mean, they didn't have a great squad to begin with, and I think a lot of their success last season was down to Chris Wilder. So the fact that they've just got rid of him and they've still got an average squad and they're not going to get like an expert manager in is just strange. Especially yeah. because you think, you know, next season, who are they going to get to bring them up? You know, you look at Norwich and with Daniel yeah. Fark, and they kept the manager after they got relegated, and it looks yeah. like they're going to be promoted again. So surely yeah. you think Chris Wilder would have been the best man to get them promoted next season. Yeah, um, you can, considering that he's already done it, you know, he's he helped stabilise the club, he brought them back to the Premier League. I, th- I just, yeah, it's, I find it really odd. Um, one thing that was reported as part of the backroom tension was that Chris Wilder wasn't allowed to sign the players that he wanted to sign. You know, yeah. if you, um, but you, it was the owners who kind of sanctioned the deals for Rian Brewster, Sander Berger, Oliver McBurney, and Lise Massey. None of which, only real, only Sander Berger has actually worked out. Rian Brewster's been a flopper. He's barely played. Um, do you think that it's, it's acceptable to blame this on those signings, particularly if Wilder didn't have 
support on who he wanted to sign, which was supposedly a left-sided centre-back and a midfielder. And then, you know, he only got a striker. Evidently, someone else has bought that for him. Yeah, um, I mean, all different clubs have different kind of recruitment structures now. So it's, you know, it's hard to say. I'm sure there's plenty of clubs that operate that way that do it very successfully. But, um, yeah, it's very odd that, you know, they wouldn't at least get him the kind of players in the positions he wanted. You know, I think everyone kind of knew that Sheffield United were lacking in quality and they did need to sign players. You know, they had yeah. a crazy season last season, which was always going to be a one-off. But, it, yeah. you know, it's just odd that they didn't back him in the way they needed to. Yeah, and, you know, the bulk of their squad was still the same squad they used in the championship. So you would have thought they would have strengthened. And certainly staying after such a good first Premier League season, they should have been in a position you would have thought to spend more money and then push on. But evidently the owners thought otherwise. Well, they, I mean, they did spend a lot of money. You know, Rian Brewster, he didn't just play badly, but he was, what, like 25 million plus around that? Yeah, around that mark. Which is huge money for you know a club like Sheffield United to spend. So yeah. for them to kind of waste it on one player is you know a huge you know miscalculation. You think you can yeah. get three or four players that are maybe sort of seven eight million each, and you can kind of do more more with that. I would have thought for them, but you know, yeah, it is what it is, and yeah, you know, it's unfortunate to see him go. But you yeah, know, I'm sure he'll find another job quickly after what he achieved there. Yeah, I'm sure he will. And you know for the future for Sheffield United we almost certainly know this season is going to end in relegation um, but it'll be interesting to see how they go next season um, yeah they're on 14 points they're 14 off safety with nine games remaining um, I don't think that they'll be uh, they're not pulling off a miracle certainly not now no definitely not um, speaking of Something a little happier, if you're an Arsenal fan, that is. We saw the North London derby take place over the weekend. Uh, did you watch the game, Dan? I did, yeah. It's, it's, it's one of those derbies I, I always look forward to. And uh, I actually really enjoyed it. It didn't go the way I thought it was going to go. But um, I thought it was actually an entertaining game to watch. Yeah, I mean, we both predicted a Tottenham win over Arsenal. We saw, you know, a resurgent Tottenham team who looked like they were, you know, they had a fit and firing front four of Kane, Son, Bale, and then Lucas Moura deciding to play well. Um, and they never, apart from a five to ten minute period where Lamella scored an absolute blinder of a goal, yeah, it's brilliant. They, never, they never really got going. Yeah, I mean, if there was ever a game and you'd say one team didn't turn up, it was probably that game. You know, I think that's one of the the worst performances I've seen from Spurs this season. Yeah. And, and from any kind of Mourinho side, really. You know, when you figure it seems that at least they normally put in, you know, the right amount of effort, but Spurs were just terrible all over the pitch. Yeah. And, the, you know, we mentioned um, that Lamella just showed a, a moment of pure inspiration. The Rabona back across goal, nutmegging the Arsenal defender as it goes through he plays it into the bottom corner I mean that's sensational from the player yeah it was brilliant I think you know maybe it's just because we watch so much football but I think it's rare that you see a goal that actually makes you go you know wow like I like I've never seen that before or at least I've never seen yeah. it happen that often and um yeah it's was, it was brilliant um I love the reaction of his teammates as well I don't know if yeah. you saw it but Regulon he, he couldn't believe yeah. that that had gone in it was yeah, yeah. A really brilliant uh, reaction for his teammates. Yeah, but sp speaking of things they couldn't believe, um, Lamella getting sent off was far more believable than that goal. I think everyone called it as the second he came on the pitch. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he probably had about eight yellow cards worth of tackles um, eventually, yeah. but he got sent off um, for a, a really stupid just hand in the face. Yeah, which is, I mean, it's yeah. what he did to um, Martial, isn't it? Uh, when they played yeah. Manchester United at the start of the yeah. season. It's it was, just it was petulant, wasn't it? Yeah, he's one of those players. I, I know you're not a fan, and I'm, I'm normally no. not a fan either, but I mean, he scored a brilliant goal and then immediately yeah. went back to what he's normally like. Yeah. Um, on the flip side, though, Arsenal looking better. They slowly look better. No Aubameyang uh, due to disciplinary issue. Apparently he turned up late to a team meeting. Um, be interesting to see how that's 
resolved because I don't know if you've seen it, but on social media, footage, uh, fan footage of Aubameyang stuck in traffic in London, what a surprise, has surfaced. Uh, and that might explain why he was late. So with hindsight, that disciplinary issue is now looking like less of an issue. Maybe a poor decision from Arsenal to not play the captain, but they still came out and won the game. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's no way to tell, you know, exactly what the issue is. You know, they could say he was late for training. It could be something entirely different. Um, to, to be honest, when I first heard the news, I thought it was actually, you know, good management for Arteta. You know, he's a young manager and he's kind of got a mixture of, that he has that kind of authority over the players. You know, even yeah. if it is a Bamiyang and he's your best player and he's your captain, if he breaks the rules, he's still got to get punished like everyone else. Because then yeah. if you don't punish him, you run the risk of, you know, players feeling like they're treated unfairly and, you know, all that, which, yeah, that's the, that's the last thing Arsenal needs right now. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that when, doesn't make too much of a difference to the table. Arsenal in 10th, uh, Tottenham still in 7th. Um how do you, you know, Arsenal, do you think it's kind of a, this, where we are is where we finish sort of season and, you know, I know the form's picking up, is it a case of this, you know, this is it for this this season, let's hopefully build on and kick on next season. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, I think we've been saying all season, Arsenal are kind of a, a longer term project right now. You know, this season yeah. they were never going to be great, maybe a bit worse than we expected, but I think the long term is where they're looking and they're probably, you know, focusing on the Europa League to try and qualify through the Champions League by winning that. Because, I mean, they're not going to get in the top four. They might get top six, but, you know, I think it's longer term they're looking and they're trying to, you know, develop Arteta as a manager and, you know, bring that young squad through, which I think yeah. they're doing. You know, we saw, um, you know, Smith Rowe, arguably man of the match against Spurs. I thought he was brilliant. Yeah. Hit the bar with a fantastic shot and kind of r- ran the game for Arsenal. So yeah. um, it's really good to see, you know, Arsenal's young players, you know, turning up when they really need them the most. Yeah. And then on you know, on Tottenham, is there almost that Mourinho syndrome kicking in where he, they're, they're sublime? Mourinho team's sublime for a season, two seasons, and then they just sort of slump. Are we seeing that? Is, do you reckon that's because of Mourinho's system or is that just Tottenham, you know, only have a couple of world-class players and the rest of the squad isn't actually quite at the level of your Canes and your Soms. Yeah, I, I don't think I'd really put this one down to Mourinho. I mean, when you look at the team he put out there, they set up, you know, in a very positive way. You think, you know, they had Kane, Bale, Son, Lucas all dying. You know, Endombele was next to Holberg in the holding role. So really, you know, that's one defensive player out of, you know, the whole midfield. I think, yeah. you know, their problems are just... They've got a really bad defence, and I think yeah. some of their players maybe aren't, you know, set up right mentally. I don't know. Um, I think it was more of a one-off, to be fair. You know, I think Spurs are a good size. I think they just, I mean, bottled this game, I guess. Yeah, I mean, that is... says lost two out of the last five, but they have won the other three. So, you know, they're on, re- they're on a reasonably good run of form. Um so, I mean, I guess for both of those teams, we're going to have to see uh, how the rest of the season goes. I mean, you know, Tottenham are still in European contention. Arsenal might be, assuming that the teams above them completely fall apart, which one of Liverpool won, not going to rule it out. But we'll have to see. Um, but speaking of derby games, uh, we just thought this week, we want to have a look at the 10 best derbies in world football, these are, you know, we've cross-referenced some other lists of derbies, and seeing as we've just talked about it, what better place to start than the North London derby? Um, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about if there's some history behind it, let you know, and that's a bit of a history lesson, and then just sort of experiences of the game, what we think of the game. So, North London derby, Dan. Yeah. Originally, there was no North London derby between these two, as Arsenal were actually located in the south of London before they moved to the north in 1913. Since then, do you think it's become, well, it certainly has become one of the most important derbies in Premier League, in, well, history, top division, history of English football. Um, do you think it is still probably the most fiercely contested? Uh, I think so. You know, as I mentioned when we were just talking about the last one, it's one of the derbies that I, 
always look forward to. I feel like, you know, one of the issues with Derby games is, you know, they always get built up so much and it's kind of hard for a game to actually deliver. But I think North London Derby, at least in the games I've watched, has always been entertaining. You know, you think even, yeah. you know, the game yesterday, it was what, seventh versus eighth, something like that. You know, it's two mid-table teams, really. And it's kind of still yeah. a, a very entertaining game, even if Arsenal kind of dominated it. So, yeah, I, I think it's definitely yeah. one where you definitely have the passion of the fans, um, especially these days of Arsenal fans. They're uh, very vocal. And I think Spurs kind of enjoy being their noisy neighbours, I guess. But, um, yeah. No, yeah, they it, certainly do. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, like I said, it's, it's a game I always look forward to. Um, what, what about you? Do you enjoy the, the North London derbies? I, I do. As you know, If you look at some of them as a neutral, they're always enjoyable games. You know, If you look at the scores, they're always, sometimes they're closely contested, sometimes they are heavily one-sided, but you always get an entertaining game. You know, I think of the 4-4 draw between two in October 2008. Um, Arsenal winning 5-2, both in one season, uh, in February and November of 2012, um, to, to hammerings of their, of their rivals. It's incredible. The, you know, the game is always so, so interesting. Um, and, you know, there's also history between players who've played for both clubs. You know, Sol Campbell, for example, you know that's that players like that that just add fuel to the fire, and it's you know so hotly contested, always so interesting, um, and I think it does it is up there as one of the best in the Premier League, if not the top. Yeah, definitely. At least in terms of you know entertainment factor, you know they're not always the top teams, so it, it very rarely you know decides a title, but definitely yeah. I think one of the most entertaining derbies that we get to watch every year. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, for an Arsenal fan and a Tottenham fan, it's you know, the fixture list comes out at the beginning of the season. You don't care who you got first game. It's when are we, you know, when are we playing the scum down the road? You know, who are we playing? Is it when to Tottenham? When do we go to Tottenham? When does Tottenham come to us? And vice versa. You know, it, it's to have that fire in a derby that's been going on for so long now. I think that's incredible. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's it's, it's a really good one. Yeah. Um, but speaking of English derbies, we'll move to the other derby that we've pointed out in England, and we'll caveat this by saying, uh, in our list, we have tried to keep it where possible, sort of, that each team's only feature one once in the list. So we are going to quickly just some honourable mentions for English derbies. The Manchester derby and the Merseyside derby um, are not in our ten best. Not because they aren't, but because we just wanted a bit of a wider spread of derby games. They are both hotly contested derbies. Um, they mean a lot to the fans. Certainly the Manchester derby's only got bigger and bigger as uh, City have bought the league. Um, it, they are fantastic, but they're just not going to be featured in this list. Um, but the dar other derby we picked out in England was uh, Liverpool versus Manchester United, the two most successful clubs in England. Dan, what does that game mean to you when you see it as a neutral fan, when you see that game? Uh, yeah, I mean, I always look forward to it. I'll be honest, I think it often doesn't live up to the hype. Um, I, I think, especially the last couple have been a bit a bit dull. Um, but still, you know, you do look forward to it, even when, you know, one club's having an off-season. You know, like, yeah. the last couple of years, it's either been Liverpool have been rubbish, or Manchester United have been rubbish. You know, it's been a while since they've both been, like, number one and number two going for the title. Um, but no, it, it definitely is a really historic derby. And I think there are some really great historical games and some great players to have played in them. But um, yeah, yeah. hopefully, you know, over the next couple of years, we'll have, you know, Manchester United and Liverpool both at the top of their game, really going at it against each other. I think that could really, you know, liven them up. Yeah, I mean, it, I think it's certainly between the two trophy, uh, the two teams, rather. Um, it means a lot because they are so close in terms of success. You know, Manchester United have 66 trophies, whereas Liverpool have 64. Manchester United have more Premier League titles. Liverpool have more European titles. You know, there's it's real levels and performance across different competitions. And, 
you know, it means so much to the fans. You know, as a Liverpool fan, I'm still got the memories of Torres tearing apart uh, Ferdinand and Vidic, just, oh, just making them look silly. Two of the most fearsome defenders in the league at the time, and he made them look silly. Just memories like that just burn into your skull. You just don't forget them. And you know, it's it like I say, it means so much to the fans of each club. But speaking of passionate fans, go across to our next derby. Jump in the channel, having a little segue up. We're in Germany for the Classica, Bayern versus Dortmund. Dan, two massive, massive uh, sets of fans. The yellow wall of Dortmund is a sight to behold in their stadium. This this derby, you know, is maybe it's not one we see as often, being at England, you know, English football fans, you know, there's the ignorance of some English football fans that they don't watch football from across the ways. Um, this game, you know, it's a massive one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. Um, often very competitive. You know, I think they're comfortably, you know, the top two teams in Germany, and there's often yeah. a lot to ride on. Even though you know Bayern Munich have been so dominant for years, um, you know, it is often a title decider. And it's often a cup final as well. You know, they often end up against each yeah. other, whether it be like their kind of League Cup or even in the Champions League a couple of years back. Um, so definitely, it's a really competitive one. And um, there's always a storyline to it. You know, even what was it, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we had one where it was kind of Haaland versus Lewandowski. And they yeah. both kind of had their moments. Obviously, Lewandowski came out on top. But yeah. it's definitely, I, I think, up there as one of the more entertaining derbies um, in the world. And and you speak of moments, you know, Bayern being the powerhouse that they are, have been able to almost poach the best of Dortmund for a while. So it's always interesting to see, you know, uh, someone like Lewandowski, you mentioned, or Mats Hummels, who are so so influential in a Dortmund team, suddenly cropping up the next season in a Bayern shirt against Dortmund. That's, you know, got to add fuel to the fire. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and Hummels has, you know, since gone back to Dortmund, hasn't he? So now, yeah, you know, for him to, you know, go back and forth, it must be, you know, very interesting for the fans to watch, and you know, for him as a player as well to kind of deal. Must with be odd. Him. Must be odd. You friends with everyone on the pitch. Yeah, it must be very. I can't think of you know many other players that will have that kind of experience. Um, it's certainly, like I said, it's certainly odd. Um, but again, yeah. it's what derbies are about. You know, these little storylines that run through them. I think it's it's what makes yeah. them so interesting. And um, I think that, like I said, it's one of the more interesting and more entertaining derbies out there. Yeah, I mean, the thing is with derby, it does cause a little bit of conversation online when we we're doing the research. It seems to be almost a. It's not quite as big, or it's bigger than it should be rather compared to something like the Riviera derby where Dortmund plays Schalke or any of the Munich derbies. Um, but you don't perhaps see those ones anymore much because the other Munich teams aren't so much involved in the top division of German football. But certainly Dortmund versus Schalke is just as hotly contested and has a bit more history to it. Do you think that should be up there as big as the Classico or do you think we are looking at sort of the marquee game in the Bundesliga calendar? Uh, potentially. I mean, it, it kind of depends how you classify derbies, you know. Is it just about how close you are to a team? Is it to do with like how the fans feel about it? Or is it to yeah. do with the competitiveness of the teams? You know, yeah. I, I mean, not, not to constantly take it back to the Premier League, but you look at a game like Liverpool versus Manchester City. Now, Liverpool and Manchester City aren't really rivals. You know, Liverpool obviously rivals Manchester United, like we said. But Liverpool Man yep. City has kind of turned into a little derby over the last five or six years because they've been yep. the top two teams. Um and it kind of depends how you want to classify it. Like I, I wouldn't say Liverpool Man City is a proper derby. If it carries on for ten, fifteen years, maybe it becomes a derby. But um I, I think, you know, you have those different kinds of derbies and I think they're all entertaining in their different ways. And I think fans of Dortmund will probably say Schalke are their main rivals and um yep. Bayern they probably don't care, do they? They're just like beating everyone. <laughs> yeah. Who's close to us? No one's close to us. Yeah. Um, but yeah, interesting game, certainly. But um, I think now it's best to jump over to Italy, where certainly another interesting derby that takes place because both teams' home stadium is the same stadium. So it certainly removes that sort of 
home versus away bias. Um, and historically, the meaning, you know, as we see in football a lot, this derby means a little bit more to the city of Milan than just a football game. Of course, we're talking about AC Milan versus Inter Milan. Um, so there's a historical link to a class divide that was in Milan, um, where it, Inter Milan was kind of judged as t the club of the affluent, uh, the upper classes, whereas AC Milan were the, um, the working class club, the sort of working man's club, the people's club. Yeah. Um, do you th with football being a working, you know, considered historically being a working man's sport, and you know, richer people playing cricket and stuff like that historically. Are you surprised to see that? Um, not particularly. You know, I, I think I think all the best derbies kind of have those inflictions of, you know, it's not just about you know the footballers on the field. It's all to do with you know the background of the clubs and all things like that. So I, I think it's a big reason why there are derbies um, that are so important. And I, I'm not that surprised. You know, I think there are definitely clubs that attract, you know, fans that are working class, some fans that are, you know, upper class. You know, that's what football yeah. is. It's a very diverse group of people. And, um, yeah. you know, I, I personally didn't actually know that about um, AC versus Inter. But um, yeah. it's certainly a fantastic derby. And I think it's one of those where you yeah. think a derby matches, it immediately jumps out at you. Yeah. I mean, even in modern times, you know, you were saying to us just for, saying to me just before we started recording, do you remember what happened a couple of weeks ago and we saw Zlatan Ibrahimovic and Romelu Lukaku really going at it? Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, it's probably been emphasised more this season because they're both going for the title. But you could really see yeah. just even just watching clips from that game, how much it really mattered to those players. And yeah. it was it was really fiery. I think there's been a couple of red cards in there as well. Um, yeah, and it, you know it, it was a, a brilliant game to watch. Yeah, and you know there's sometimes even this rivalry it causes um, frustration and anger outside of the actual match. So if you can cast your mind back to the Calciopoli scandal about 15 years ago, um, it wasn't just Juventus stripped of the title. We also saw AC Milan stripped of points, which put into which made into the champions of that season. So I think AC Milan fans would also feel aggrieved by that. Yeah, definitely. Despite the fact they cheated. They, you know, they were involved in the cheating. Like, you can't be too aggrieved when you cheated your way to it. Yeah, you'd still feel aggrieved, though. Even if you were wrong, every, you know, everyone doesn't like to actually be punished when they do the things wrong. <laughs> no. Uh, but no, I mean, but things like that, they really fire people up for the next time. You know, yeah. regardless of, you know, who goes on to win the next titles or the next 10 titles or whatever, you know, there's always going to be those moments you look back on. It's like, that was the season we did this, or, you know, we beat them by goal on, on goal difference, and that's how we won the title, or you know, they were deducted points, and that's why, you know, it's all these interesting storylines that run through kind of the history of these games. Yeah, it's it's certainly one of the biggest derbies, one of the greatest, with so many derby matches that take place. Um, you know, we're looking at 228 official matches between the two teams and Inter uh, in the lead with 84 wins versus 77 um, yeah it's it's fiery you know I think I think you know you look at Lukaku and Ibrahimovic Ibra has had I think has Ibra played for both clubs I believe he has isn't he yeah he has yeah yeah so I think him you know getting fiery and worked up with them you know and same with Lukaku I think it's that partly one they don't like each other and two they surely must understand the significance of that rivalry yeah, it's definitely one of my favourites. Uh, great kits as well. It's a really good-looking yeah. derby. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of great kits, we go to the other derby that we've picked out in Italy, and some people might think it's involving Juventus, but it's not. We're actually looking at the Rome derby. Uh, Lazio and Roma. Roma, of course, have some of the most beautiful kits in world football. Um, yeah, I think we've all seen the clips of these ones. The crowds go ballistic for this game, don't they? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we've not really mentioned it up to this point, but often, you know, derby games is more entertaining to watch the crowds than it is the actual football. I think this is yeah. definitely one of those that's up there for that. Yeah. Um, there's, you know, there's some element of a political conflict historically between the two teams. Um, you know, whether or not that is linked to the clubs or it's just 
ultras of both clubs voicing some morally bankrupt opinions when it comes to politics. We see that in games and, you know, I think it goes without saying that needs to be kept out of the game. You know, we don't want to see fascist insignia at a football game. Um, but if we can, you know, look past that, I think they, you know, it's a fantastic game of football and there's no fiercely contested. Yeah, absolutely. You know, sometimes things definitely, you know, cross a line, whether that's for, you know, historical reasons that are, you know, definitely out of date nowadays. Um, yeah. But, you know, they still, you know, it's a very entertaining football match, even if you take all that out of it. And, yeah. you know, your fans are going to be passionate for the right reasons and sometimes for the wrong reasons. But, um, you know, definitely as as a neutral, um, it's, it's very entertaining to watch. Yeah. I mean, even to the point that if you look at how the, the stadium is split from south side and north side and with the fans separated that way, you know, that's done because of where the clubs were founded, the boroughs of in Rome that they were founded in. Um, and, you know, just the little bits of history that makes it even more entertaining because I've always wondered why is it split in a certain way. Um, it's, it's incredible, isn't it? Like, I think, it, again, it's another hotly contested game um it's it's incredible it's another game that i think you need to watch it um it's got some fantastic moments in you know both teams have had iconic players like francesco totti for uh roma you know just really really big game in italy yeah yeah like i said a lot of you know iconic players and it's definitely i think possibly a, a bit of an underrated game um i think especially outside of Italy. I think people maybe don't appreciate it for how good it is. Um, but, you know, yeah. definitely, like you said, I keep saying, very entertaining and I think one that probably does live up to its reputation. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's in just a game that must be seen to be believed. Um, but we will then move on to a game that is coming up this weekend, actually. Uh, a very big game in Scottish football, the biggest game in Scottish football. Uh, it's the old firm derby, Celtic versus Rangers. Dan, you know, we've seen since Rangers came back from administration from going bankrupt, that that it re is relit the fire. Those teams are right back up there again. The two best teams in Scotland. Um, what do you think of this game, Dan? Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest. It might be my favourite derby on the list. Um, I absolutely love this game. I think. You know, Scottish football, you know, it gets a bit of a kick in for maybe not being as high quality as you know, some of the top leagues. But I think in terms of entertainment factor and pure kind of passion, I think this is the derby you want to watch. Um, you yeah. know, even when Rangers have been poor for a couple of years, you know, had all the financial troubles, it was still very competitive and a very aggressive derby, I guess. Um, you know, Scottish football is known for its fouls and I think you see a lot of them in this game alone. Um, no, definitely fantastically entertaining. Again, another one with a lot of historical significance. But um, yeah. I think, yeah, probably my favourite derby on the list. Yeah, it's you know it's always something we've seen hotly contested. We've you know, just seen recently on news that Roy Keane has said he'd be interested in taking the Celtic job. And, you know, being a former Celtic player, wow, that could be... That could be interesting, real interesting. Yeah, I mean, a man known for his uh, his tackles and his aggression. Um, yeah. You put him in, a, in an old firm derby up against, you know, Steven Gerrard in the Rangers dugout, if he's still there. I think that could, you know, be feisty on and off the pitch. Yeah, you know, I think it would certainly is a derby game that has widespread Affects not just football, but social implications. Well, as you said, historically, there's religious, there's political implications to this game. It's so firmly tied um, to this game, and you know, I think it's a really important one. Scottish football, uh, the most important game in Scottish football. Um, yeah, wow, what a game that would be to be at. Yeah, I mean, I mean, speaking of it. Not to go on a bit of a tangent, but I remember the other day I was watching a clip of, I think it was Rangers Celtic under 21s playing each other, maybe sort of 10, 15 years ago, and the stadium was packed out and there was 
you know, rioting pretty much in the stadium. And that's for the under 21s. So um, <laughs> I think it kind yeah. of shows, you know, how crazy, um, you know, the passion for the fans are even, you know, it doesn't matter if it's the first team or the under 21s, you know, yeah. they still really care about winning the games. Yeah. And, you know, we speak about the game being played this Sunday. Um, Rangers have already won the title when they're away to Selwick. I think this is a reasonable topic of conversation. It's been bubbling quite nicely. Um, will Celtic give Rangers a guard of honour? Do you think? Do you think they'll honour that, or do you think that the rivalry may get in the way of that? Well, I seem to remember that Rangers did it for Celtic a couple seasons ago. So I think I think I'd hope they would have to do it, mainly just to humiliate Celtic for bottling their tenth title in a row, which I think yeah, you know they deserve everything that they get um, for how managing to screw that up and being so yeah. kind of like arrogant i think over the last 10 years when you know the first time rangers have actually put a relatively decent team together they've you know celtic have completely bottled it and let rangers overtake them so uh, yeah i definitely love to see it but again even if they don't do it you know that's gonna fire the players up even more and you know it could get even worse for them yeah, yeah, it would be the embarrassment of having to do it, and then you say if they go on to lose the game to Rangers, and Rangers look very good, I think yeah, that could it could be a nasty affair that game. Yeah, uh, and I'm definitely looking forward to watching it. Oh, certainly, certainly, yeah. Uh, but we'll move on to another fiery game between two massive rivals. Um, we're going over to Turkey, Dan. It's Fenerbahce versus Galatasaray, the Istanbul derby. Again, another um, derby that has class, a sort of underlying sort of class divide from history. While both teams now have a support base that is of from all financial areas, you know, class areas, it was originally set up that. Galatasaray is kind of the club of the wealthy, whereas Fenerbahce consider themselves the club of the people. So yeah. we're seeing another class, a sort of historical class divide between these two clubs. And do you think that's something that's more apparent in football derbies, this sort of class divide that contributes to it? Possibly. You know, I think I think you know football is such a important sport for everyone's kind of social life and everything that kind of runs through it. That yeah. it's only natural for these things to kind of come to the forefront um in derbies especially when i think it's two clubs in the same city you know they have to have a reason to hate each other and you know things like that kind of end up working out that one team is for these these kind of people and one team is for the other so i think it's a really natural part of football yeah and i mean these are two teams that you know we see them play against english teams on european nights or indeed any other team on european nights and the crowds are rowdy as hell like, are you surprised to see that this is one of the most fiercely contested derbies? Um, I, I'm not that surprised. You know, I, th- I think it is a, a, a really, you know, you know, I, you know, I think Turkish football is one of those where, like, it, like maybe Scottish football, it's not for as one of the top leagues, but definitely the fans are up there with the very best. Um, you know, you think about the tifos that they they put out there, and you know the the light displays and the fireworks and everything. You know, it's it's ridiculous really yeah. you know you, you kind of watch them more than you watch the football um but yeah. definitely i think brilliant set of fans and really entertaining games and we kind of look forward to them on european nights um when they play the other teams from different countries but when they're up against each other i think it's even more entertaining yeah and speaking we you know see fantastic moments of entertainment and i think the most standout one for us is graham Sooners planting a Galatasaray flag in the middle of Fenerbahce's pitch I mean that that's walking into a pit of doom doing that surely isn't it well, that's... yeah it's a, I mean... it's a brilliant um, uh, thing I, I love it personally I wonder what Sunis would say if Paul Pogba did that though I bet he'd criticize yeah. him <laughs> so, yeah that'd be certain, certainly criticism but oh it was he really rolled up the crowd like, you saw how that crowd was already boiling over and then to see that happen um oh my god must cause absolute pandemonium yeah but like we keep saying you know it's it's not just about winning the football match it's about you know those moments of you know really crazy you know kind of rivalries of just 
I'm going to go plant our flag on the opposition pitch. I mean, that's just mental yeah. to think of. Like, <laughs> who would think of doing that? Is it's brilliant, but it's, you know, it's, it's iconic, and it's why we, you know, love those matches. Yeah, it, I mean, it's again, it's another game that I think is just you have to watch if you get a chance to see it. You have to watch it. It's fiery, fiercely contested. Um, yeah, it's just it's certainly it's definitely got. I would say even though these are in no particular order for our top top ten, it's kind of just there. I would argue that this is probably top three because of the fire behind it. Yeah, it's, no, it's definitely up there. Yeah, and as you mentioned, all the um, the light shows, the fireworks, the drama behind it. I thought we'd then move to Greece for the most dramatically titled derby, uh, the derby of the eternal enemies: Olympiakos <laughs> versus Panathinaikos. I mean, that that's an incredible name, isn't it? So that's something out of Game of Thrones or Star Wars. That's, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Um... Or or a Greek legend, which you know makes sense, is is two Greek teams. Yeah, yeah, it's. I mean, again, it's another case of sort of upper class versus working class. It's sort of a theme between some of these going on. Um, but I think what makes it so fiery as well is not only are these the two most successful clubs in Greece. Um, this derby isn't just football based. This expand. These are sports clubs. This derby expands into basketball volleyball and water polo as well and you know just the pull these two clubs have on sports in greece let alone just football i think that's incredible yeah and you know as we keep saying it shows you know a lot of these derbies aren't actually to do with football a lot of the time you know it is kind of the the locality it's you know the, the people that are near you you know that you have these rivalries with and you know i'm sure you know, I, you know, I don't know how many of the football fans watch the team play water polo, but I'm sure they're always pleased when they win. You know, even if yeah. they, they watch one game a season of water polo, they watch that one. You know, yeah. the fans really care about winning them. Sorry, about beating the opposition, regardless of what's at stake or even if it's in the same sport. Yeah, and I have to say, like water polo, it is savage. It's you know, it doesn't. Everyone goes water polo. Uh, you try playing it. It is hard work, and it is. It's not a fun game to play. You really do get surprisingly roughed up. Um, <laughs> That's but... what people who play Quidditch say as well. I, I don't know. Yeah. I've never played water polo, but everyone always says all, all the sports are rough. We'll see. Yeah. I'm sure the derbies yeah. are rough. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Olympiakos and Panathinaikos, you know, we see it again. It's very similar to the Fenerbahce Galatasaray game. The crowds as well are mental. We see the same, as we said, in European football. Um, in Champions League or Europa League, that oh, they're just the crowds are insane. Yeah, definitely. I mean, highlights of the games, you know, even if the football's not great, the, the crowds and the atmosphere are why you're there, really. Yeah, you know, I, I've never been to any of these games, but um, definitely, I think they'd be a, a once in a lifetime experience for a lot of people. Yeah, and you know, it's, you know, we're talking about the fans. As long as stuff is done like that safely and no one's getting hurt, people, you know, we do have to caveat this list with some of these derbies, people do get hurt and we can't condone any of that. We'll never condone any of that. People people have lost their lives on these derbies and that's just unacceptable no matter how fierce your rivalry. It is football, it is a game, it is not worth that. Um, but as long as this is being done safely, certainly for that atmosphere, you know, is a, you know, to go back to having fans stadiums it would be great to see them back in for the atmosphere for these games as long as it was done safely yeah i mean once all this you know all the lockdowns and everything are over i'm sure these derbies are going to have an even better atmosphere than they ever did before yeah yeah i think we were and i think the next one on our list uh is one of those we're going to see fiercely contested because it is so close one team in the lead with 97 wins they're fierce rivals 96 wins it is very tightly contested this is el clasico from spain Barca versus real madrid are easily the biggest game in spain yeah definitely i mean one of the biggest games in the world uh, you know definitely the biggest in spain um again yeah. it's one of those that i think everyone always looks forward to even if you're not into spanish yeah. football you always want to watch it 
and again i think it actually lives up to its reputation you know yeah. maybe it's just anecdotal but all, all the games i remember them being played are really entertaining ones and yeah, yeah it's, it's 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 a brilliant tie yeah i mean faster and real european powerhouses it's they can kind of buy whoever they want we've seen the world's best players at both of these clubs you know most recently we saw messi versus ronaldo for those two teams um but you know figo someone like luis figo playing for both teams the pig's head being thrown onto the pitch uh at figo it's there's so much fire in this game and again it's one that's actually linked to a political stance uh, with Barca being linked to sort of left-wing ideals and more of a Repub- Spanish Republic idea within the country role. Real Madrid being heavily linked with a monarchy, i.e. royal, Real meaning royal, and sort of right-wing ideals and a sort of nationalist stance. And again, we see in modern day how politics can really get fiery. So are you surprised at all to see that in football? Uh, not really, you know. I think we all know that you know Barcelona, especially, are a very kind of political club, obviously based in you know yeah. Catalan, and you know it, it's a really you know fiery derby. And like we've seen with a lot of these, it you know it isn't just about football. You know, it bleeds into every other aspect of life, and yeah. you'd expect that from the biggest derby of all. Yeah. Which of these two teams do you prefer? Which who's your favourite? Um. I mean, historically, I'd probably say Barcelona, just because I, yeah. I love that, you know, Pep Guardiola size. I think they are probably the best yeah. team ever. And I just loved how they played. Yeah. But again, I, but both are good. What, what about you? I would, I think I'd have to say Barca as well, as much as I think Cristiano Ronaldo is a phenomenal player and Real Madrid have had some top, 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 top players. I, Barca, especially, you know, We've been fortunate enough to see not only Ronaldo play, but Messi play as well. Um, that that Pep team, as you say, it's probably the, probably the best team I've ever seen play. Um, it, it just incredible. Messi is out of this world good. Um, the passion of the fans, oh, yeah, I have to go for Barca. Yeah, I think they're, they're just an iconic team, aren't they? I mean, so are in Madrid, yeah. but... When I think of Barcelona and I think of the players that they've had over the years, you know, even players like Thierry Henry and Zlatan Ibrahimovic, the players that I yeah. personally am just a huge fan of, and I, I think that probably is what edges it for me. Yeah, and you know, at the moment, but we know Barcelona are struggling. They're not doing well. Say so you say a struggling Barcelona, they've won, you know, four of their last five. They are third in La Liga. Um, second to Real Madrid with Atletico Madrid on top of the table and we also have to shout out the Madrid derby um, just unfortunately not in our in looking at the research not quite as big as El Clasico um, but you know with both teams sort of go, undergoing a bit of a rebuild the what's going on particularly focus around Messi and the presidential elections for Barcelona um, do you think this again is one of those that we might see flare up again in the next couple of seasons, or is it still at its peak? Um, I mean, I think I think it's still a, you know, a hugely contested game, but no, I, th- I think you are. Right. I think you know maybe have a bit of a lull for a while, and then once both teams get back to being you know competing for European Championships, I think we'll really see the derby heat up again. Yeah, yeah, because it's certainly again we say they're all brilliant games to watch, but this is in terms of the quality of football. I think this is arguably the best on the list. Yeah, I'd probably agree with you there. Yeah. Uh, But we will now jump all the way across South America to Argentina for the last team, the last derby on our list. It was reported that the Observer described derby day for this game in such a way that it makes the old firm game look like a primary school kickabout. It's been listed as one of the games to watch before you die it's Derby Day in Buenos Aires. It's Boca Juniors versus River Plate. I mean, the crowds alone in this match put the teams put almost every other team on this list to shame. Yeah, again, it's one of those that, while I think you know football in South America is incredibly entertaining, um, it's yeah. maybe not viewed as the same kind of quality as some of the European leagues. But I think, like you said, their fans put everyone else to shame. 
is yeah one of the most entertaining things to watch even if you don't watch the game just watching the clips of the fans is entertainment enough you know there's so yeah. fiery so much you know so much to be contested every game you know it's it's so entertaining yeah and you know this is a another um game where there's sort of a class divide but since then um it has sort of both teams have seen their fan bases sort of as social classes joined together to support the team that's it's almost overtaken the sort of class divide as these two teams um come fighting each other effectively for the title because they're the two the two most successful teams in argentina i think yeah i, th- I think you're right yeah it's a bit like you know, we were talking about Bayern versus Dortmund um, earlier on. It's one of those where a lot's often riding on it, not just, you know, pride. It's often, a, you know, a cup final or a title decider, which I think even, you know, elevates the derby even higher than some of the other games. Yeah. And, oh, it, oh again, it's watching it is just incredible. We saw a Copa Libertadores final between two clubs actually postponed a couple of years back. Um, because just the fierce rivalry between the fans just ambushing players again it's not something we can condone but I mean people getting carried away but there's so much fuel in this derby it's it's, it's frightening to watch but when sort of done I say correctly with no violence it's incredible to watch yeah it's one of those where you you know you can't take your eyes off it really you know even when it crosses the line you know it's kind of you still can't look away even if you disagree with it it's it's a pretty yeah pretty incredible thing um you know as you said obviously don't condone that stuff but um it just shows how much you know the fans care about it yeah it's they're certainly passionate fans uh, south american football fans and i think this game is a perfect example of it you know it's it's something it's to be listed as one of the games to see before you die, to be described as making the old firm look, you know, tame is, is it must be such an interesting game to watch and be so important to the fans. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, that was our list of the top ten derbies. We did put them in no particular order, but are there any we missed out? If you want to let us know, do interact with us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is in the description of this podcast, and we'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Well, there we have it. We've come to the end of the show. There's plenty of football on at the weekend. We've seen the FA Cup sixth round taking place with some Premier League games. Unfortunately, I'm not going to be doing any predictions today. So, again, as we just said, if you want to interact with us and let us know, do let us know on Twitter. But until then, hope you're looking after yourselves, and we'll catch you next time.